So um, I am Rob, and as Joe said, I'm, I'm currently the senior high pastor here at Calvary. Um, I'm also the youngest of eight. I'm a baby. Any other babies in the room? So I had perfected the art of harassing my siblings. Um, got four older brothers, three sisters, two of which are twins. And my wife is also the baby and the only girl in her family. So you can imagine where all the stubbornness in our kids comes from. It's definitely not from me, right? It's from, from my wife. She's sitting back there glaring at me right now. I get those looks. So um, I grew up here and uh, remember when Pastor Howard would preach. We had pews in the room here. And in 2007, uh, I believe that God was calling me away to join a missions organization. And I spent about 10 years away. And in 2017, the Lord called my family and I back here to Calvary. And when I came back, I had a wife and three children. And since then, we've added one more, something about COVID-19. Don't really know what that's about. He's two months old. Um, and here recently, it was announced after so much transition, right, that we were resigning our position here at Calvary. And the question that we get asked often is, why? <laughs> what happened? I thought this was you coming home and this is where you wanted to be. And so I have been given the opportunity to uh, share with you all um, as Pastor Chuck's away this weekend. And in short, the thing I, I want to give you right off the front end is the answer to the why is simple. It's obedience. It's obedience to the King of Kings that ransomed our lives. It's obedience to the one that has created everything. It's obedience to the one that commands it. It says, if you love me, you will obey me. And so that will be a thing that we will reference uh, over and over again uh, over the next few minutes. So we will be in Exodus 3 and 4 today referencing a little bit of the call of Moses and his journey to obedience. If you have your sermon notes in front of you, that the first thing on there says, hello, are you listening to me? And uh, I love this question. So depending on how old you are, what kind of relationships you have, if you're an adult or child, you're probably going to hear that question and think a little bit differently about it than maybe the person next to you. So here's how it goes in my home. Now, I understand that I am speaking what could be a generality for how men communicate and how women communicate. So I know it may not be for everybody in the room. Please don't email Pastor Chuck and tell him your silly senior high pastor got up and said silly things. So in our home, right, this is how communication goes. I'll get a text one day. I'll read it. It takes me all but five seconds because that's all there is to it because another guy probably texts me. And I'll, I'll go to Suzanne. I'll say, hey, um, got a text. John was in an accident. We need to pray. Now, you would think at that point we're good, but no, no, no. My wife says, well, what were they doing? I don't know. It just says John was in an accident and we need to pray. Were they driving? I just said John was in an accident. We need to pray. I don't know. Is he home or is he at the hospital right now? I don't know. John was in an accident. We need to pray. Now, flip that, right? Susanna's communicating to me. First of all, some of you wives are very sneaky. You wait until we can't leave. Like my wife will trap me when I'm in the shower and she knows there's no way out. You know, like in the crime movies, somebody goes to the bathroom and they try to find that escape window? Yeah, we don't have one of those. So she comes in, I'm like, I'm stuck. 
And she never gets right to the point that she actually wants me to remember. It's everything else first. So I need to tell you about John and Jane and this vacation they took. And, oh, this thing happened. You want to know about this. And 15 minutes later, on your way home from work, can you get milk? And then it's that question, right? Are you even listening to me? Yeah, you said to go get milk. Really? Out of 15 minutes, that's all you got was you need to go get milk, right? So husbands and wives, we communicate very, very differently. And so when we look at this, hello, are you listening to me? We're going to go to Exodus 3, verse 1, and we're going to look at how God is asking Moses the same question. So starting in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid of God. The first point that I want us to look at today is that God is a God that wants to know we're paying attention. He wants to make sure that we're not just hum-hoing through life, just thinking everything's going to fall into place, like there's some great cosmic plan and and we have no uh, responsibility. Let me put it this way. I I think some of the, the ways that we talk sometimes, and I've done this too, is we look at everything as either an open door or a closed door. God's either going to open the doors I'm supposed to go through or he's going to close it. Do you know there's a flaw in that thinking? The flaw is that if you've lived long enough, you know that life is not always easy. And you know that sometimes the best things in in life can feel like a closed door. When reality is simply an obstacle that by the grace and the power and strength of God, we need to overcome. How many marriages have been broken because we run into obstacles and we think, this door must be closing. I don't have to keep pushing through. And when we think about that, if we're not careful, we start to live our lives day after day, week after week, year after year, just thinking, you know, whatever God wants me to do, whatever he wants me to be obedient to, he'll open all the right doors. As long as the door is open, I'll step through it. But otherwise, if it feels closed, I'm not stepping through it. But I think about that. What have we missed What have we and the gifts and the talents that the Lord has given us not been able to offer to the world because we weren't listening? I think about when I first started going on the mission field and we would have to pack dozens and dozens of Bibles and backpacks that we would carry around with us in Central Asia and Central America and Europe and your back would be exhausted from carrying the weight of these things. And then all of a sudden, one day, one day somebody came to us and said, hey, there's this app on your phone, and just about everybody has Bluetooth and, and Internet now. You can actually share the Bible in their language with them. You mean I don't have to carry a Bible anymore? I can just carry my phone? I, that took somebody at some point listening to the Lord and taking action on that. So Moses... 
Moses wasn't doing anything very spiritual that day. You notice, what's it say? He was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. He wasn't worshiping in some mountain. He wasn't praying. He wasn't discipling anybody. He was just at work, washing the dishes, writing up a budget, doing the things that we all do every day, and God grabs his attention, and Moses says, that's interesting. That's not part of my normal routine. I'm going to pay attention. And once God realizes he's paying attention, that's when God spoke to him. And I want to suggest that there are times in our lives that we know that something is not normal in our day, that something odd is happening. Maybe it's an encounter with somebody, a situation that arises, and we see it as just an issue that we want to get through, and we don't say, what is this about? What are you saying to me right now, God? For us, I'll be sharing a little bit about our journey to obedience. It was 2019, and our family had went down to Arkansas to visit my wife's side of the family. Her dad and two brothers are there. And I'm going to be honest with you. When we first got married, we lived in Arkansas and Oklahoma for three years, and I hated it, like detested Arkansas. It's hot. They have snakes. They have mountain lions. They have basically anything. I love the outdoors. Anything that can kill you is outside, including some mythical creature called a Sasquatch that they really believe in. I'm like, if it's real, I'm dead. They don't have the Brewers. They don't have Packers. They're actually Cowboy fans, which is worse than being a Bears fan. Sorry. Don't say that. But actually, it was a very difficult season in our life. So much so that when God moved us to Kentucky in 2011, I made a vow I would never return to Arkansas. And I was serious. So you can imagine my surprise when in 2019 we're visiting family, and I'm just doing what Rob does on vacation, I guess. I don't know. And I get this sense. I don't even know how else to describe it. Other than that, it was a sense that we would be living there again one day. And I said, there's no way I'm stepping, stepping foot back here. And I had really good reasons why. We had only been here a couple years. My mom had cancer. And she was living with us in our home. It wasn't like we were going to help her. She, she actually moved in so we could help take care of her. You can't move a, a woman with stage four cancer halfway across the country. But by the grace of God, I had just enough wisdom to know I need to tuck this away and see if anything comes of it. Well, that was the summer of 2019. And then 2020 happened, Right? February, my mom and I are sitting at Freighter with some other family when she makes a decision to stop fighting cancer and to come home on hospice. So overnight, our, our whole lives begin to change because now we have three kids, one of which is special needs, and then hospice is moving in all this equipment for my mom, and, and our family is just, what is going on? And it didn't take long that her health started to decline more and more, and, and then she passed in March the same week that Safer at Home went to effect. So we were one of the, the handful of families at the time that were trying to figure out how in the world do you even do a funeral when nothing's open? You can't, you can't gather, you can't meet. And so our family's just reeling from all of this, trying to figure it out. And I can promise you I was not thinking about Arkansas. And then one day I was out driving and had the thought, I'm gonna call Susanna. So I call Susanna 
And I hadn't really thought through what I was going to say to her, but I ended up asking her the question after I said, in all of our years of marriage, I've always kind of said, hey, I sense that God might be moving us here, moving us there. Let's pray. Let's talk. What do you think? She's like, yeah, let's go for it. She's a very gracious wife. She's all about going for the adventure. I said, but what is your desire? What's in your heart to do? And almost without skipping a beat, she says, I want to go home. Arkansas. So now, what had come up in 2019 has resurfaced, resurfaced itself. Now, I don't remember exactly how I, I responded at that time, but I, I don't think outwardly with her I really showed any kind of disappointment. But I know after I got off the phone, there was a lot of, is that really you, God? Like, maybe she's just emotional right now. It's got to be something else, right? This Arkansas thing can't be coming back up, but it had and we knew that it was something we were going to have to pray about. We couldn't just let it go. So let's continue. If you want to turn with me to Exodus 4, just flip over a couple chapters. And we're going to be in verse 1. Now this is after Moses has paid attention to God. And God has spoken to him and he said, Listen, my people are suffering. And I've heard them cry out to me. And I'm sending you to do something about it. And I relate so much to Moses because all of his excuses have been my excuses. And we'll unpack that later. But this is Moses talking, mind you, we need to remind ourselves of this sometimes. He is talking to the God of the universe, the creator of all things. The one who literally was just inside of a bush that was burning and it wasn't being consumed. And Moses decides to say, but they will not believe me. They'll listen to my voice for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. Side note, I love this. Because Moses was a mighty man of God that Scripture tells us was one of the most humble that ever walked the earth, and he was terrified of snakes. That is me. I am the guy that will unashamedly tell you if we were out hiking and we see a snake, I run, and my kids are like, Dad, you're supposed to protect me. Last year, Matthew and I, or two years ago, Matthew and I were hiking at Devil's Lake, and he skipped, just like a little six-year-old boy, skipped right over a snake on the path. And it was one of those paths that had, like, brush on either side, and you couldn't get around. And I stood there, I'm like, come to me. He's like, no, you come to me. I was like, no, 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 you come to me. I'm dad. You have to listen, right? Terrified of snakes. So I appreciate that Moses ran. But then God says, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. 
But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. One of the most frightening passages in the Bible and a terrifying place to be when our stubbornness and our disobedience has left us with the Lord's anger kindled against us. Because we decide that we are fit to argue with an awesome God. In our home, Suzanne and I teach that obedience is three things. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you know our children, you know that we have not mastered this at all. First thing that we teach our children is that obedience is a yes sir or a yes ma'am when their parents tell them to do something. So yes, we're mom. Yes, we're dad. But we're teaching them that because we want them to understand respect for authority. Far too many people don't have respect for authority. And so when they respond to us, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, it's a reminder that they have authority over them that they need to submit to. The second thing that we teach is that immediate obedience is required, and any delay is still disobedience. See, obedience doesn't get to happen when it's convenient for you, when you've worked out all the plans that you need to work out, when everybody else says it's okay. Obedience happens when your authority tells you that it happens. And the last thing, and I think one of the most important, is a good attitude. Because God calls us to be joyful servants. And when the world watches us, and they see us working for him begrudgingly, like the task set before us is annoying and frustrating and exhausting, the world says, why do I want to serve a God like that? So we teach, day after day, week after week, these things to our children. It's important that we understand what obedience is, because if we don't, We can do what Moses did, and even when we get it, we can struggle like I do, where we question God. We doubt his supremacy, his power. But there are three things that I want to point out to us that I think are very important about the three signs that God showed Moses. You remember the first one was that the staff became a snake. Now, snakes are these sneaky little things that kind of hide and camouflage. And when you startle them, they might hiss or they might rattle. If you get too close, you don't move quick enough. What do they do? They strike. They bite. When I was reading this and praying through this, the thought that came to my mind is that one of the things that terrifies us in obedience sometimes are the people around us that like snakes can bite. See, sometimes obedience to God is scary. It doesn't make sense. It has a cost that uh, certain people, depending on who you're talking to, doesn't add up. And sometimes the people that you least expect that are closest to you are the ones that will reach out and bite you. They'll criticize your obedience. They'll call you a fool. They'll say, you're just being a religious nut. God doesn't really want this of you. And I believe that what God was showing Moses in this moment was that he has authority over the snakes. He has authority over those things that will bite you and harm you. The second sign that God shows him was the leprous hand, remember? He put it into his cloak, pulled it out, and it was white like snow, put it back in, pulled it out, and it was good. I think the second thing that keeps us from obedience sometimes that we need to understand about God is we start playing God and we start acting like we know what is best for our life. The health of our family, our own personal well-being, 
God, don't you know that if I do this, it's going to cost my family's financial health, my family's relational health, my whatever, fill in the blank. And I believe, again, God is showing his authority and his power over your health and your well-being, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. He has power over all of it. The third sign is the water being turned into blood. And this is for the ones of us, myself included, that I think are especially stubborn. And this is God showing us power over the impossible. See, I know for me, as we started to pray about Arkansas, I said, God, there's, there's no way I can do this. We're not going to sell our house. I'm not going to find a job. We're not going to find a good church. My, my kids just lost a, a grandparent, and now we're asking them to, to move. Uh, we have a special needs son with literally one of the best hospitals in the nation for his specialties. None of this makes sense. And God just kept pointing us back to, I have authority, I have power over all of it, I've taken care of it. I think there's one other thing, too, that I want to point out. I think sometimes we know the things that God is calling us to do, and we look for an easy way to obey it that allows us to blame other people. Here's what I mean by that. It doesn't make sense for me to resign my position here and to move my family to Arkansas on paper. To my shame, when COVID hit, and remember we weren't gathering like we were right now, we weren't here. One of the things I began to think about and one of the things I began to pray about was, well, the church has changed. There's not gonna be money for my salary. I'm gonna get let go and then we'll have an excuse to move to Arkansas. See, it's easy to tell people you have to do something like that because everybody's looking for drama. Everybody's looking for a good story. But when you tell people, yep, I'm doing something that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, that's harder for people to swallow. And if we're not careful, we can end up looking for those things instead of willingly stepping out in obedience to the Lord. And then there's Exodus 4, verse 18. Moses has been humbled. He accepts that he must obey the Lord, and it says he goes to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he says to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Isn't that amazing? Out of all the things that he's just walked through with the Lord and the questioning, the arguing, he goes to Jethro. Jethro doesn't argue with him. He doesn't question him. He just says, go in peace. The first time I did this was last fall. And I had been meeting with Pastor Chuck pretty regularly about once a week. And I went to his office one, one week for a meeting. And as we're praying and talking, I told him, I said, I, I don't believe I'm supposed to continue here as a senior high pastor. I thought that was it. I thought, you know, there goes, there goes my job. I'm going to be out of here in two weeks. Because the last ministry position I was in, I'm going to tell you the truth. When I told my leader that I was praying about coming here, we were let go a week later. Pastor Chuck received me with grace and peace 
And the conversation became, let's pray and talk and see how to do this well. So we did. For months, we'd meet weekly and we'd pray and we would talk and we'd seek the Lord, even asking, are there other things here that the Lord might have for me? I knew it was Arkansas, but I kept thinking I'll be diligent and pursue every possible avenue until one day during a meeting, fiddling with my thumbs, not wanting to make eye contact, not wanting to have this conversation, I finally worked up the courage and told Pastor Chuck, I'm supposed to resign my position. And I was met with such grace and humility again with the how do we do this well. The important thing with this, too, is that during this time of wrestling and not wanting to have this conversation with Pastor Chuck, I've been putting out resumes at all sorts of places, and I had put out resumes at places that I was well qualified for and heard nothing. And then one day, what I thought was a whim, I put out a resume for a job that I didn't have the degree for, I didn't have the experience for. I'll tell you what, I wasn't the guy they were looking for on paper. Great job. The moment I told Pastor Chuck that I knew the Lord was telling me to resign my position here, I had immediate freedom and peace wash over me as that weight was lifted. And then I got a call from that job that I don't fit their description asking for an interview. And then another interview. And so I was finally offered a job that I start on June 14th. See, the Lord was waiting for me to be obedient until that next step or he was waiting for me to be obedient until that next part of his plan was revealed. And sometimes I get it. We, we want all the details worked out. We want to know where we're going to live, where we're going to work, who's going to be this, who's going to do that. I'm here to tell you, friends, sometimes we just need to step out and trust the Lord and trust that he's going to provide that next one. Because he's a faithful God. So, you may not like what God is calling you to, but he does command us to obey. So in closing, Exodus 4.31 says this. Moses and Aaron have went to the people, and it says, the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Happily ever after, Right? How many of you know that story? These people were so stubborn. They kindled the anger of God multiple times. Doubting. They roused Moses' anger so much so that he actually sinned against the Lord. And, and God said, you'll see the promised land, but you'll never set foot into it. This ending was anything but a happily ever after. Moses and the people would be tested and tried over and over again. But why is it important? Because obedience is part of the journey of life. It doesn't end. You don't get to say, I obeyed this thing today, or I obeyed this big move or this transition, so that's it. I can just kick back and, and be on vacation now and go through life. No, obedience is constant. Here's something the Lord's really been impressing upon me over the last couple of weeks I've been praying. We know the scriptures tell us how beautiful and amazing the courts of the Lord are. We know the scriptures tell us that it'd be better for us to depart and be with him. We take comfort in funerals knowing that our loved ones that were followers of Jesus are now in his arms free from this broken mess that we live in. 
So I want to pose the question, if we're still here, why do we ever allow ourselves to believe it's just because I'm on autopilot and vacation until I decide or he decides to call me home? Wouldn't it make more sense that if we're still in this brokenness, it's because he still has something for us to do? See, there's no such thing as a Christian that just stops being obedient, that just stops surrendering their lives daily to Christ. Here's some examples in case you don't believe me, that age and position are irrelevant to God. Josiah was the king of Judah at eight years old. And if you know anything about the kings of Judah, they were wicked people, most of them. But it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father, David. He was eight. We don't hold our children to a high enough standard in today's society. Jesus began his public ministry in his 30s. Now I get he was God, but he was also fully man when he took on the weight of the world and its sins and went toe-to-toe with the religious leaders of the day. How about Simeon? Simeon was an old man waiting because he had been told by the Holy Spirit, you won't die until you see the consolation of Israel. And then Jesus' parents brought him into the temple and he saw him and could rejoice. There's Anna, who's 84 years old, worshiping and praying and fasting daily. There's been a lot of messages this year about being disciples that make disciples. My question for you is, how are you responding to that? I know for a fact that the Lord is working here at Calvary. I've grown up here. I've been on staff here for several years, and I know there is healing. There is reconciliation. There are people getting saved. Even the senior high ministry just a couple weeks ago, we had a young student give their life to the Lord for the first time. People are getting set free from addictions that they thought they would never get set free from. And you know what I look at as a pastor? Who's going to help disciple all of them? I'm not so bold as to tell anyone what they're supposed to do because I'm not the Lord, but what I will do is this. Your so what is blank this week because that's for you to answer. What is it that the Lord has been putting on your heart that you need to be obedient to? It doesn't have to be a move halfway across the country with your family. It could be a phone call to somebody that you need to be reconciled with. It could be a coworker that you need to share the gospel with could be any number of things, but are you going to do that thing and the next thing and the one after that that the Lord places on your heart instead of living on autopilot just waiting to die? I want to go ahead and give you just a, a minute or two now. You do it on your phones or you can write it in that blank spot. I want you to take action on this week. What is the thing that you know the Lord is calling you to in obedience? And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I have no idea. You know what? That's okay. So here's what you write down. At this time, on this day this week, I'm going to go to a private place with my Bible and I'm going to ask the Lord, Lord, what should I be about doing? So go ahead and take a minute and write that down. Week after week, I've had the opportunity to work with young kids my own children's age 
as I've listened to them memorize scripture and talk about what that means. And their faithfulness to the Lord in that has encouraged me to continue my own memorization of scripture when I'm tempted to believe I'm just too busy. A few years ago, I had an elder of the church in his 70s reach out and ask to start meeting with me, and my thought was, what did I do? And we started to meet week after week, and I had somebody that had more life and more wisdom behind their ears than I could hope for pouring into me, helping me be a better husband and father and pastor, including wrestling through this decision. There's nobody in here, regardless of your age, that doesn't have a powerful gift that the Lord wants to use. And the good thing is you don't have to do it alone because he's not going to send you alone. He's going to equip you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to show his faithfulness and his authority and his power over all of it. So, it's for you this week to go and take courage and be obedient to the things that the Lord has laid on your, your hearts to do. And don't give up. Keep fighting. My favorite scripture that I share with the teens often is Philippians 1.6. It's short, it's simple, but it's powerful. It says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Some of you today might be sitting there and you have no idea what the gospel is or who Jesus is. Some of you do, but you've been living a wayward lifestyle, turning away from the Lord. And some of you are on fire right now, but maybe you're weary. I want to encourage you that wherever you're at, if you're here, the Lord is doing a work and he's going to carry it on to completion. You're in his sight, and if you're in the Lord's sight, that's a good place to be. So, would you please stand with me? Pastor Chuck reminds us all the time, he says, I release you into a week of work, witness, and worship. And you know that the world that you're being released into is a mess, and it's difficult. So I want to remind you this week as you go about doing that, that greater is he who is in you, if you have believed, than he who is in this world. It's going to be hard, friends, but it's so worth it. So Lord, I pray for my brothers, my sisters, I pray your blessing, your favor over them, God. God, I pray that this week they would tangibly know your presence as we can get caught up in the moments and forget that you're with us. And, and I pray that they would just know, yeah, God's with me. He's comforting me right now. He's giving me wisdom. He's giving me power to do this. And I pray that we would be a people, all of us, God, that would tune our ears and to listen to you and be obedient, God, that we would make much of you every day, Jesus, to bring glory to your name. Thank you that you're with us. You provide for us. And you have authority over everything that we face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.